from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, this is Crosswalk. This week, we're continuing our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. Today's passage comes out of Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. In Pastor Clay's absence this week, Pastor Ivy Rhodes is going to bring the message. Our series is on the book of Mark, and we invite you to open your Bibles now and join us. Thanks so much for being a part of this week's service. Now, here's Pastor Ivy. Well, I'm excited to be speaking to you today. I have a baseball bat, so if you go to sleep... um... I'm just kidding, just kidding. Uh, it has to do with what I'm talking about today. See, I grew up, my dad uh, got me in sports, and he told me he was going to watch this message, so I got to watch what I say about him. I'm just kidding. Now, he got me in sports. My dad was my drill instructor, and uh, he, he would yell at me to do things when I was doing them wrong. It, maybe I was on the field or I was doing whatever. He would, you know, he'd verbally just like yell it out so I could hear it, and I could definitely hear it. And he's, he's the type of guy, and I've inherited it also, that you're going to get loud so that you make, people, make sure people hear things. And, and it's probably the preacher in him. You know what I'm talking about? Probably the preacher in him, you know? And so I played, a little, I played football one year, and I was the wide receiver, and I was absolutely terrible. I didn't catch a single pass the entire year. Um, I'm going to blame it a little bit on my quarterback, who never actually got it to me, usually landed at my feet, but, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I was always told that the, the great wide receivers would still be able to catch those. I don't know how. If it's burning across the grass getting to you, it's a whole different thing. But anyway, so I wasn't real good at sports. People thought, oh, Ivy, you're pretty tall. Maybe you can play some basketball. And so I was like, oh, maybe I will be good at basketball. And um, no, no, the opposite was true. I can't seem to figure out how to get the orange round ball into that hoop thing that you're supposed to get it into. doesn't seem to work for me, and I was tall. I could get some rebounds, maybe play a little defense, but when it came to scoring points, they never put me in the game because I was not good at doing that. Um, and so the thing I played the most when I was growing up was baseball, and I didn't play it a whole bunch. We played three or four years in elementary school, never any higher than that. But I can remember, as I was learning to play baseball, and I'm swinging, and anybody who knows, and y'all can critique my I'm just not good, so don't worry about it. If I'm, if I'm swinging wrong, I know a lot of you guys know a lot about baseball. I don't. This is a t-ball bat, by the way, but anyway. Uh, thank you, Ernie, for bringing it. You know, as I would swing, I would get to the ball, and I'd get about here where I would try to connect with the ball, and, so, and I'd just kind of drop my bat down and then just lay it down, and then if I hit it, I'd run or whatever I'd do, and the ball goes skimming across or whatever, and I can remember hearing my dad yell at me saying, follow through, son, follow through. And I would go, I don't know what that means, dad. But as I got older, I started to realize that follow through meant that when you come through and you hit that ball, you don't just hit the ball and then drop your bat, but you come on through with it and you bring it back so that you get the most power out of what you're doing. Hitting that ball. And even I was, I've been told that you don't just hit the ball in front of you, you hit like two or three balls ahead of it so that you're not powering to the ball, but you're powering through the ball. And what could be a pop fly to the outfield, which would probably be an out, could turn into something like a home run if you're following through with your swing. And so that idea of following through has kind of followed me with my life. Um, and I would like to be a completionist, I'd like to do things to completion, but I'm just not that guy. I don't know what it is. Maybe I have, you know, long-term ADD or something like that where I just can't seem to keep a focus on something for long enough. But I get to, I, I, I'll do things and I, I'll start them and I won't finish them. You can ask Allie. In our house, 
for, I, I did, okay, I did a painting, I do some painting, and um, I did this painting, and I painted it black around the borders and blue in the middle, and kind of this is the background for the painting that I had envisioned in my mind, and um, I get it done, and I kind of look at it, and say, I'm going to back off for a few days, and I'll come back to it as time allows. Well, a couple days passes, Allie says, you're going to finish that? And, you know, I just don't have the inspiration for it right now. When that comes, I'll finish it. A week passes, a month passes, a year passes. Still haven't touched the thing. It looks exactly the same. In fact, it looks, actually it looks a little different because it started collecting dust, and there's clothes laying over top of it. But, and then I thought, <laughs> funny, funny aside here, um, can't do a lot of asides today because I don't have a lot of time, but I actually thought, you know, that would be really artistic to do this beautiful painting and then drape clothes over top of it. I thought that'd be really modern art, but anyway. Um, so I said, maybe that's what I'll do. But I ended up never finishing this painting. Five years go by, and there's this painting still sitting in our room, and Allie goes, are you ever going to finish that painting? I said, yeah, when I get to it. Well, eventually, I don't know what happened, whether I stepped on a Lego or I tripped over a child, but I fell. And I fell into the painting and snapped it in half. And I wasn't going to finish it then. And Allie's like, well, I'm just throwing it. Because I said, well, maybe I get the canvas. I can restretch it. You know, I'll fix anything. No, I'm throwing it away. And she threw it away. You know, I have this problem trying to follow through. But I think a lot of us deal with the same kind of thing. And I know this is true because every year everybody makes the jokes about New Year's resolutions, right? You get your New Year's resolution. You say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to save more money, whatever it is. And you get about, I don't know, three minutes into it and you kind of forget about it. You know, you, you don't finish it. Or maybe it's, it's the uh, promise that you forget about. Maybe it's the promise that you've made to someone. Maybe it's a promise that you've, you've said that you're going to do. And, and it, you know, it, it sounds like a good idea until the time comes when you're supposed to do it and you don't follow through with it. Or this project that we're supposed to finish Again, a lot of you guys are going to be talking to Allie afterwards, but you can ask her if she ever asks me to do something in the house. It's probably going to be like a three or six month process for me to get to it because she's going to say, would you go put, fix our bathroom door, the hangers on the bathroom door? Oh yeah, I'll get to that. And I'll go to Lowe's. Maybe I'll buy something for it, but then I'll never put it up. And then I'll finally put one of them up, but leave the other hook off the door. Not like that happened or anything. And so it did. It did happen. Um, so, you know, you know we, we have these things that we just don't finish. And we come to church and a lot of times we feel like God's called us to do things. He's told us to do things, whether it's a sermon or it's a worship song. You know, we're connecting with God and we feel like he's told us to do things. Maybe he's called us to love our families better. And we leave that service and, man, we feel it. Maybe he's called us to love our wife or husband better or even love our wife or husband at all. Maybe he's called us to quit a job that we just love. Or cut back on hours in the job that we're at so that we can spend more time doing his work with our families. Maybe he's called us to stay at a job that we hate. Maybe he's called us to love people that are unlovely, that are hard to love, difficult to understand. Maybe he's called us to reach out to a person. If you're like me, sometimes you get that sense from the Holy Spirit. He's telling you, talk to this person, interact with this person, have a conversation with this person, um, you know, about, about the Lord or about life or whatever. And, and you know, I just put that off. You know, I, I don't need to do that right now. We're in the grocery line, God. You know, I'm not going to do it right here and right now. And we put that off. Maybe he's called us to go. Some of us in this room have probably had a, uh, a call from God to go somewhere, whether on a short-term mission trip or a long-term mission trip. 
God calls us, and in the moment we say, yes, Lord, yes, but we never follow through with it. We forget about it. Today I want to go on a journey with the disciples of Jesus and with Jesus to discover what happens when we follow through. Today's passage comes after Mar- out of Mark chapter 11. We're going to go through verses 1 through 7. So if you want to turn there in your Bible or tap there on your pad or your phone or whatever you're going to use, if you want to go there today, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. It's an interesting passage where Jesus tells his disciples to go get a colt, a young donkey, for him so that he can ride it into Jerusalem. This passage really marks the beginning of a new section of Mark. We've been, we've been going through his Galilean ministry from here. You know, we've seen him heal people. We've seen him perform miracles. But the miracle that we see happen with blind Bartimaeus that John spoke on last week is the last miracle, besides the resurrection really, that happens in the book of Mark. The rest of this is the Passion Week, the week that leads up to the, his death and then resurrection. And so we're entering into this Passion Week that Mark spends a lot of time on. So as we go into this, I want to keep that in mind, that Jesus is heading towards a goal and towards a purpose, and he has a purpose to everything that he's doing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this morning, God, we know that you're good, and Lord, that you are perfect. God, you are not just perfect in the sense that you've never done anything wrong, but you're perfect in the sense that you are complete. And God, that you complete us. God, that you have followed through, and we thank you for that. May we learn to follow through in your commands. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives. Now this is kind of important. We come from Jericho, and we're actually ascending from Jericho into Jerusalem, some 3,000 feet uh, up to get to Jerusalem. And, um, And so... There are two cities, these two cities, Bethany and Bethphage, are just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. And we see from the book of John that Jesus probably was in, uh, coming to Bethany. He was going to stay there. And the last miracle that Jesus does in the book of John is raise Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. So that's where we're probably catching up with Jesus right here. And, if, and at the very least, he's probably staying with Lazarus and Mary and Martha during this time. Because this is the Passover. This is a big time in the Jewish community. There's like three million Jews that come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. There's not a lot of room to stay, so people had to stay in cities around, and we see Jesus here staying in Bethany. And so, Jesus um, is going into Beth, uh, is going to go into Jerusalem on this Passover as the ultimate Passover, where the Lamb of God would be slain for the sins of the world. And then he gives this weird instruction. You see, when people were coming in, it was a big deal. People, pilgrims from all over, like I said, would come into Jerusalem, and they would come in by foot. And people would welcome them and say things, greetings to them and all this stuff. And Jesus was coming in. He gives this weird instruction and says that he has something else in mind rather than walking into Jerusalem on foot. We'll read about it in verses 1 through 3. Verse 1, he sent two disciples of his disciples and told them, go into the village ahead of you which is probably Bethphage, as soon as you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Now I want you to remember that little part right there in which no one has ever sat. It's going to be important in just a minute. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? (laughs) Say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here 
right away. Now, if I'm one of those two disciples, I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, so you, let me get this straight, just you want us to go into the village, find a donkey that's never been ridden, and take it? And if, if, you notice Jesus uses, if anyone says anything to us, just tell them that you need it, the Lord needs it, the master needs this donkey. So what you're saying, Jesus, is you want us to go in. And you want us to uh, knock on their door. Hey, how's it going? I want to ask kind of a weird question. Can I borrow your donkey? Is that what you want, Jesus? No? You mean you want us to take the donkey before we ask and get permission later? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine Jesus said, yeah, that's, that's what I want you to do. Okay, well, you are pretty awesome. You did kind of heal a blind guy a minute ago and raise the dead. So maybe you know what you're talking about, and, and, and we'll do whatever you say, Jesus. And as they approach Bethany, I can imagine being one of those disciples and thinking, so how do I know this is going to work? How do I even know there's going to be a donkey there? What if somebody is riding the donkey when we walk in? What if somebody else has this idea, and they're actually riding off with the donkey that we're supposed to get that's never supposed to be ridden? What if it has been written, and I don't know about it? What if... I go and untie this donkey, which seems to be a pretty sneaky thing. You know, you're trying to be quiet. You can imagine trying to untie that rope very quietly. I go in there and I untie it as I'm walking away. They, hey, what are you doing? And then I say, the Lord needs it. He'll bring it back. And they go, yeah, whatever, bub. Yeah, let's arrest you right now. You know, if I'm one of those disciples, these are the kind of things that are going through my mind. And if I was going to do it, I'd probably actually say, you know, I know Jesus told us to take it first, but I'm actually going to knock first and ask and then see if they'll let us borrow it. But to me, it's surprising what the disciples do. Verses 4 through 6. So they went and found a young donkey outside in the street, tied by a door, and they untied it. And some of them standing there said, what are you doing untying the donkey? They answered them just as Jesus had said. So, they let them go. What? That's kind of crazy. This, this two disciples do what Jesus says, and it, surprise, surprise, works out just like Jesus said. It's like he knows what's going to happen. It's like he has control over all things. It's like he's the Lord of all, right? It's kind of weird. And it makes me just wonder if the disciples are actually starting to get it. Because earlier in the book of Mark and earlier in the other Gospels, it looks like these disciples may not be getting it. And we don't know how much they get it at this point, but at least, at the very least, they follow through to the T with what Jesus says to do. So if we look a little deeper and we understand a little more what Jesus was trying to do when he said to take that donkey, what seems strange on the surface becomes a little more clear to us. You see, a donkey, we think of it as a lowly animal. The guy in Shrek, right? It's, not the, it's the butt of the jokes. That's how we think of it. We don't think of donkeys very highly in our culture today. But in that day, it was, the cho- it was what the king would choose to ride in. Because a king would ride into battle on a horse, on a strong horse. And we'd think that he'd want to come into the city to show his power on a strong horse. But in that day and age, when you came into the city and you came on a donkey, you were coming in peace. We see in 1 Kings one thirty three that when Solomon was coronated as king, he came into the city not on a horse, but on a donkey. See, Christ was coming as the king that would bring peace. That's why I needed a donkey. That's why I didn't come on foot. That's why I didn't come on a horse. An unridden donkey 
unwritten. That's kind of weird. How, you know, you got to say, Jesus, he had to have some inside knowledge here. He had to know what was going on. He had to be a prophet, which the Bible tells, tells us he is. And he says, this unwritten donkey, how other, what other way would he know? And again, unwritten animals were used for sacred things. They were set aside so that kings could write in on them. The Ark of the Covenant could be carried on the back of an unburdened or unridden animal. And we see that Jesus comes in as not the Ark of the Covenant, not this gold box that represents the presence of God, but he comes into the city as God himself, the covenant, to take his place on the throne. Taking before asking. When Israel first started asking for a king and saying, God, we want a king. We're tired of this Samuel guy. We're tired of you being our king. We want a, a, a person, some guy, some big, tall, strong king so the other nations can see how strong we are. And God's like, well, if you don't want me, then you can get a king. But if you get a king, I'm going to warn you, these are the things that are going to happen. And so God lays out for them the kind of things that are going to happen and the authority that the king is going to have over them. And this is what he says. God says in 1 Samuel eight sixteen, He can take, he can take it, tis anyway, your male servants, your female servants, your best young men, and your donkeys, and use them for his work. You see, Jesus, in the way that he was doing it, in the way he was approaching this, was acting as the king. Not just as a good teacher, not as a great healer or a wonderful miracle worker. He was acting as king of the universe. But also, maybe even most importantly, this passage fulfills prophecy. Mark doesn't mention Zechariah 9 here, but we know that because of Matthew, at least, it was probably in the back of Mark's head as he was, as he was doing this. And in Zechariah 9, verse 9, 250 years before Christ, we see that he predicts that the Messiah would come in on a donkey, on a colt, a young donkey. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's pretty awesome. You see, the disciples may not have understood everything Jesus was doing. They may not have understood that Jesus had a point to everything he was telling them to do. He had a purpose behind what he was doing. But they followed through with his commands anyway. And in the midst of all this greatness, in the midst of all this imagery, in the midst of this illustration of his kingship, in the midst of all this meaning, there were two you can look, unnamed disciples who were sent on a seemingly mundane task. And they could have done it their own way. Like I said, we kind of see that earlier. Disciples like doing things their way and trying to make Jesus do it their way, maybe. But that's not what we read. When we can see what Jesus is doing, we understand the importance of the coronation march into Jerusalem, but they didn't. I think many times we're, we're guilty of not seeing the whole picture of what God's doing. And we want to do God's will our way. We want to do God's will how we want to do it. We want to do what God wants us to do, but we're going to take control of the details because we can see what's going on. Or maybe we want to just not follow God's commands at all. So today I want to just take four points that I got out of the passage, and there may be more here, I'm sure. Other people may find more, but I want to use four today and uh, 
maybe we can learn from what it means to follow through. Point one, follow through means we go in faith. Following through means we go in faith. This is a story about lordship. Who is their Lord and do they trust him? Look, verse 2, Jesus says, go into the village ahead of you and gives them all these things that they're going to need to do and what they're going to find and where they're going to find it. It says, go into the village ahead of you. And in verse 4, it tells us, so they went. God's asking us in a way, God's asking us the question, will we follow through with what we've been told? What God tells us to do doesn't always make sense. What God tells us to do isn't maybe what we'd even want sometimes. But it requires us to follow through. Faith requires us to follow through. See, following through with God tells us what we really believe about God. It will tell us if we really believe he's Lord, if we really believe he has it in control, then we will follow through with the commands that he's given us. Do we really have faith in the Lord that we claim to have faith in? We look at stories in the Old Testament like Abraham. God told him what he was going to do. Now these disciples only had a, you know, a couple of hours you know, that they could have messed things up. But Abraham has years and years and years. And God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He does this, God does this elaborate thing to promise on himself that he will make Abraham the father of many nations and that the Messiah would come from Abraham and all this stuff. And so God gets all this together and promises Abraham. And then Abraham gets a little nervous that God's not going to follow through on his part of the plan, right? And he ends up Getting another, he gets a slave named Hagar and does God's will his own way. And we, even today, we can see the effects of what that had on the world. I've heard it said before, maybe you have too, that you can't say, no, Lord. If you say, no, Lord, he's not really your Lord. He might be a person you respect, but you can only say, yes, Lord. We can all say we're Christians. But it's obedience that shows what we really believe. Jesus said it this way. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? If he's your Lord, you're going to do the things he says because you have made him your master. You have made him your king. You have made him your Lord and you follow his commands and do the things he says. He goes on to tell the parable of the two men. The one man builds his house on sand and we know how that ends. Not well when the storm comes along, his house falls. The other man builds his house on the firm foundation, on the rock. And the storm comes along and blows, it blows and blows and doesn't blow down the house. And Jesus says, when you follow my commands, when you do what I say, when you follow through with what I've told you to do, you are like that man who built his house on the rock and is strong. James tells us, for the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Sure. We can say, I can say this because I'm, this, you know, as one of you, I struggle with this same thing. You heard just a small part of my struggles in the beginning, but we can say we have faith. I can say I have faith all day long, but unless I do live out faith in my life, my faith is nothing but a corpse. We got to go through with what God's told us. We go in faith. So number one, we go, following through means we go in faith. But number two, following through means we do crazy. We do crazy. You guys know, I always get comments about this, but I did a sermon a while back called Weird. Well, now I'm doing a point here called Crazy. 
It was crazy that they took that donkey in verse 4. I can imagine. They untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the donkey? And they answered, Just as Jesus had said. So they let them go. You know, sometimes when we do crazy, people are going to come up to us and they're going to ask us, What are you doing? What are you thinking? Why are you doing it this way? Why are you doing that? And we can look at them and just simply say, Because the Lord needs me to. The Lord has asked me to. The Lord wants me to. The Lord said to. It doesn't have to make sense all the time. It doesn't have to be something that we can fully grasp. But when we have faith, we follow through. We can see that the Lord is strong. Paul says this this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 13 and 14. For if we are out of our mind, it's for God. And if we have a sound mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us. In other words, no matter what we do, whether we're crazy or not, whether you think we're crazy or not, we do it for Jesus Christ. Following through means doing crazy. I want to show you this person here. Um, this is a girl named Katie Davis. Katie Davis was a part of a middle-class Nashville family. She was her senior class president and homecoming queen. At 18, she left on a short-term mission trip to Uganda, and it changed her life. God gave her a burden for the people of Uganda. And at 19, she permanently moved there. At 22 now, actually, she's, I guess she's closer to 25 now, she lives there, and she has adopted, get this, 13 Ugandan girls from the ages of 3 to 16. She's the president of the Amizma Ministry, which helps 1,600 children and their families. Can you imagine what her family said? You're going where? You're doing what? You're adopting a child? You're adopting 13 children? 16, you're barely 19. You're going to adopt a girl that's 16 years old. You know, if God can use crazy like that, God can use crazy like us. (laughs) To follow through means that we do crazy. Sometimes your extended family may not understand I've, I've seen that happen all over. I've seen it happen not just in my life, but in others around them where their extended family, their parents and, and uh, others in the family are just like, you know, that just doesn't make sense. What are you doing? Sometimes even your family doesn't understand. Maybe your wife or your husband doesn't understand. And if you don't have a believing wife or a believing husband, it makes it even more difficult. And the thing is, you need to pray through that. You say, Lord, help me in this situation to have wisdom of how to deal with this because if you're a married couple and you're not meeting on something, don't just go off and do it on your own. Don't just leave and go to Uganda and leave your husband or wife back in America. That makes no sense. But what I'm saying is that God has also put you in that relationship to be a witness. And maybe they don't understand, but you need to pray through that. Get, seek guidance on how to help them understand. Maybe a boss doesn't understand. You mean you're not going to take this promotion? You're not going to uh, get this pay raise? You're going to take less hours so you can be with your family? It doesn't make sense. Especially if we, other people, I've seen it happen over and over again. The, they become saved and they get new, you know, they have their old friends and their old friends look at them and they're, they're, un, they're not Christians and they look at them and they say, what are you doing, man? You're spending more time at church than you are with us playing pool. What's going on? What's changed? And they don't understand. But following through with the word and the commands that the Lord has given us means we do crazy. Number three, following through 
means we lose. Ooh, that's encouraging. This is the start of the week where Christ is going to give it all. We see the disciples actually doing the work of a king's servant, and they had very little. See, most kings you serve have like jewels and chariots, and they have uh, armies and stuff like this. But this king didn't. Well, yeah, sure, he really owned the universe. (laughs) But as he was here on earth, he was humble. He had the clothes on his back. He didn't have a place to sleep, it tells us. He borrowed people's houses so he could sleep. He borrowed food, fish and loaves, so they could eat. And I know in most circumstances, unless you're doing a Jesus miracle, you can't give back the food you borrow, but Jesus could actually give back the food and give more back when he was done using the food. Thanks, appreciate that, here you go. He borrowed the food so they could eat. He borrowed a young donkey so that he could ride into Jerusalem. And eventually, I don't know, spoiler alert, maybe you want to close your ears or something, but he borrowed a tomb. You only need to borrow a tomb for one reason. That's because you're not going to need it for long. They gave up everything to follow Christ. And in fact, earlier in Mark, we see when Jesus sent them out, he said, pack light. Don't have all this stuff. Don't be carrying bags and having, you know, all this stuff. You got to go out and, you know, you don't need all that stuff. Pack light. They didn't have much. This is what we find what they did for Jesus. They laid out what they had for Jesus in verse 7. Then they brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their robes on it. We lose it all for Christ. Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. All the disciples would go on to give more than just the cloaks on their back. They would go on to give their lives so that the gospel could be spread across the world. Paul said it this way. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. All that stuff I had before, nothing compared to Christ and the victory that I have there. Following through might mean you lose friends. It might mean you break up with that guy or girl that you're in a relationship with. Following through with the Lord's commands might mean that you even leave your country or even, God forbid, I mean, this is more real than ever right now, lose your life for the gospel. So first, following through might mean that we go in faith. Following through might mean we do crazy. And following through means that we lose. But number four, this is the good part, following through means we win. Verse 7, he sat on it. (laughs) He sat upon the donkey and was going to ride it into Jerusalem. He was the king that came to bring peace. When they had laid everything out, when they had put everything down on there and he sat on it, he completed the task and was marching to the time when he would fully complete it all on the cross. I'm excited about next week. I get to preach again next week. That's exciting. And, and we get to see the victory played out. And I don't know how much everybody understood. I don't know how much the people at the triumphal entry understood as Jesus walked through their midst. I don't even know how much the disciples understood. It's really not clear if they understood anything at all. But Jesus knew. And this was the start of his coronation as king. Philippians 1.21 says this. For me, living 
is Christ, and dying is gain. It's powerful. Our lives are consumed with Christ, and we can be free to do whatever God asks us to do and follow through with it, because we know as long as we're on this earth, we are living in Christ. We know as long as we're on this earth, we have the power of Christ in our lives, and we can be free in that. But if we die, if everything goes south and it goes as bad as it can go, if we die, we gain. For some of you, the Lord's been working on your heart about something. God's put a burden in your life. And some of you need to stop saying, tomorrow, next week, next month, God, yeah, I'll take care of that. I'll do that later when I, when I got time, you know, I'm busy, got some things to do here. Some of us need to stop saying later and start saying, yes, Lord. Hey, disciples, could you guys go get a donkey? Hang on later, God. I'm doing some stuff over here, you know. Others of you have been obedient to the point of saying yes. You've been in services where God has called you to do something, and you've had it on your heart. You've had this burden on your heart that God has placed in your life, maybe something like what we saw of Katie, a burden that you feel like you need to take care of. It doesn't have to be in Uganda. It can be right here in Raleigh, or it can even be in your home. But God has put a burden on your heart, but you've let it fade. Others need to say follow through with what the Lord said to do because it shows what we really believe. See, God didn't leave us here on earth so that we could just be saved and life could be easy and we could eat popcorn all day or whatever, I don't know. He left us here on this earth so that we can make a difference and we could be his hands and feet because you realize that if he wanted to, if it was a part of his plan that the day we get saved, boom, we're gone. We're up to heaven. We get to hang out in heaven and to die is gain, right? To leave is gain. We get to be in heaven. Awesome party time, right? God didn't leave us here. I mean, God did leave us here. He didn't take us. God left us here to say, you are to be my hands and feet. We often just get so short-sighted. We get focused on the here and now. And if things aren't working out right now, whatever God's told us to do, if things aren't working out in front of me, then we're done. Mm, must not have actually been the Lord's will. Because it wouldn't be difficult if it was the Lord's will. Tell that to Jesus, right? The second he started getting a little pushback from the Pharisees, he could have said, nope, I'm done, I'm out. See ya. Doing the Lord's will is very rarely easy. And God will test you over and over again. I had a circumstance just this week, just a small thing, where I was like, God had told me to talk to someone. And I was like nervous about it and stuff. I didn't want to do it. Um, I don't know why, because I'm just like everybody else, I guess. And, and things kept coming up and didn't work out. And we couldn't have a conversation I wanted to have. And you know, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'll just talk to someone else. I think God always does this to me. He does. I'm about to preach on something. He's like, hey, you're going to preach to all those people? I'm going to test you, see if you'll follow through. I've kind of gotten, I've kind of gotten wind of it. I start, I've kind of started to figure it out and say, okay, Lord's going to test me on this. I've told you about a couple of those tests before. I was talking about giving everything away, and I have my iPad, and then my iPad falls off the top of my car and breaks into a million pieces. And I was like, thanks, Lord. I learned. <laughs> Don't base your life on iPads. How stupid is that, right? But see, God doesn't work that way. God's not short-sighted. God sees uh, the big picture. He has the 15,000-foot view. And if we learn to trust him, if we learn to follow through, amazing things can happen. And I go back to what my dad would say to me. Is he would say to me, follow through, son, follow through. 
when we don't follow through with what God has told us, we are robbing ourselves of the power of what he can do through his people. We are robbing ourselves of the power we could have if we just wouldn't drop that bat. At the point of where we touch the ball, if we would swing on through, we could watch that ball soar. We could watch God's power at work, in our families, in our church, in our community, in our city, in our state, in our world. Could you imagine what would happen if we actually started following through with the commands of the Lord? What if, as a church, we actually started taking I can say this because I'm right there with you. What if we, I, started taking the Great Commission seriously? What would it look like? How would it change this church? How would it change our lives? What if we started loving the unlovely and not just saying we love the unlovely, but actually loving the unlovely inside and outside the church? What would happen? What would happen if we started genuinely caring for where our neighbors spend their eternity? I don't know. We wait for uh, the Holy Spirit to come through like in the book of Acts. Maybe that's what we're waiting for. Maybe we're waiting for an angel to drop down in front of us and tell us. Maybe we're waiting for a dream. Maybe we're waiting for a sign. Don't wait any longer. God's already given us his Holy Spirit. God's given us this time and he has given us the church. I love this quote from J.D. Greer. He says this, What if the great undiscovered resource of the church was the church itself? When Jesus ascended, one of the things he said to his disciples was, greater works than I have done, you will do. (laughs) Really? Greater works than Jesus did? This is the guy. This is Jesus, the guy who was raising the dead, who was making the blind see, who died on the cross for the sins of the world. He could not have meant that any one of us would do a greater work than Jesus did because he was the Son of God. What he meant was that our works as the church, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, would be greater in their collective effect than if Jesus himself stayed on earth. That is powerful. That me and you, God's church, God's whole church together, are his plan. That Jesus, when Jesus ascended and all that stuff, that wasn't like, I'm going to go to plan B, I'm going to... no. When Jesus put his church here, when God set up the church, we have the power to change the world. And many around the world are changing the world. We have great power available to us. We have to follow through with what the Lord's already told us. We don't need a new command. We have it. We have it. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather every week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens and the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.